Hey, this is WVLP, 103.1 FM, Valparaiso Community Radio. You can go to our website at www.wvlp.org and check out our programming. You are listening to Everyday Warriors, a show that highlights the heroes of every day. We don't do athletes. We don't do politics. We don't do music stars. We don't do movie stars. We do the real heroes every day, our public safety professionals, our police officers, our firefighters, EMS workers, frontline workers like emergency room nurses, um, our special educators, <clears throat> Special Olympics athletes and volunteers. Those are the real heroes of every day. Uh, I am your host, Danny McGuire. I am the program director at Calumet College of St. Joseph for public safety programs. I am also the owner and president of ADL Wellness Solutions and a therapy intern at the Center for New Pathways in Schaumburg, Illinois. Today, my guest is a financial crimes detective extraordinaire, city of Chicago, and we're going to call him Detectus, Detective Marcus. Detective Marcus, thanks for coming. Well, thank you, da- Dr. Danny McGuire. <laughs> thanks, buddy. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if the moniker of doctor is, uh, is necessarily that important right now because uh, I, I I can't you know if you fall out I can't help you you know I, I might be able to teach you to death you know while your life is passing before your eyes I might be able to bore you with statistics and things of that nature or useless facts but you know I'm not I'm not curing uh, diseases or anything but I, I appreciate the props thank you uh, Marcus and full disclosure uh, is probably one of my better students I've ever taught at Calumet College uh, he's a very professional individual and it's my honor to have him on the show. He, uh, he's also an adjunct professor. When he graduated from Calumet College with his master's of science and public safety administration, he expressed interest in wanting to teach. And I hired Marcus immediately because he is an incredible instructor and has great people skills, which makes him an incredible detective because that's a huge part of that job, isn't it? It is. It is. Talking so to Mark- people. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, buddy. No, I just wanted to say that, you know, the one thing that, that, that I think that people seem to forget is uh, detectives, just like police officers, we're people of the community and we have to relate at a level, uh, all kinds of levels. You have to be able to have a rapport with, with the worst guy, the best guy, and the guy in the middle. 100%. 100%. My only experience as a detective was a 90-day detail uh, when I was making sergeant back then, the superintendent, uh, Klein, um, had a had this system where you went to detective school first, you went to detective division for 90 days before you became sergeant. I I think that the, the gist behind that was to teach you how to do investigations uh, a little bit better, maybe report writing because detectives are incredible report writers, incredible at doing investigations. They see things that people don't see. Patrol is the backbone of the police department, but the detectives, I believe sometimes are the heart and soul. They really get things done when they need to be done. So um, I think that's, that's incredible. So having that experience in a big city like Chicago, especially financial crimes, especially nowadays where it seems like most crimes that are significant revolve around some sort of financial thing. But before we get too far in that, I want, I want you to introduce yourself to the, to our audience, our listeners, Uh, just give them a little bit of background uh, about yourself, you know, your service record, not only in the police department, but I'll let you tell that story, um, what you did before you were the police. And, uh, well, it's all on you, Detective Marcus. Go ahead. Well, good afternoon or morning or evening or whenever you're listening to this. Um, I am a proud veteran of uh, the United States Air Force. I served from 1988 to 1996. I was deployed for one war. Um, I served in the capacity of a medic slash physician assistant. And, um, what, what my role was in the war was when it went from Desert Shield to Desert Storm, uh, that cold month of January in 1991, I was on the flight line at Andrews Air Force Base. We were deployed to, we didn't know where we were going. We ended up in, um, in England, in uh, Bicester, Bicester, England. And what we did is we turned a school base 
uh, an old school into a hospital. So we were on, you know, for those who are old enough to remember MASH, that's what we did for 23 hours for the next three days. We went through medications that came in. We set up a pharmacy. We set up an ICU. We set up uh, a a surgical unit. And um, I initially started off working in ICU. Um, Just for those who are familiar with the medical field, um, in a wartime situation, medics, um, doctors only do surgery. Nurses function as doctors. They release the patients. Um, um, Medics function as nurses, giving medications, knowing adverse reactions, and treating treating the individuals uh, until they get back to the unit where they're going to be until they're transported back to the United States. Thank you for your service, Marcus. That's significant. That's incredible. I, I knew you served in the Air Force, and I knew that you worked in some sort of medical capacity, but I never knew the extent of it. So I'm just, I've been impressed with you since the day I met you. And um, I'm even more impressed with you now. How about your service on the police department? Give us a little background on that. Okay. So I moved back to Chicago in 1995 from uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. And um, I immediately got, um, I, I, I immediately got back into medicine. I wasn't ready for the police department. So I came on in 2004 uh, April of 2004, uh, I've had the grand pleasure of, at two and a half years, I got the opportunity to work for a deputy chief who's no longer around. Uh, he just, uh, he, 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 um, he died. He died last year. His name was uh, Everett Johnson. He gave me a chance and uh, I functioned as his timekeeper. Uh, what a great man. In- he was a great man. Great, 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 great man. Great boss. I, I, I was, I've, I've been incredibly lucky. I started off in the 11th district. I've been in the building six times in 18 years. Um, I initially started off uh, working patrol with um, with some real characters, uh, the great Dirty Red, Sergio Gonzalez. I feel extraordinary. Um, he taught me a lot of great values and taught me how to be the police from day one. Uh, I was incredibly lucky. Um, and then I went to work for Everett. And from Everett, I worked for um, Trouble Buildings. I was his digs officer. And I worked for two more uh, deputy chiefs. I worked for uh, uh, Gulliford. And then I worked for um, Eddie Johnson. And actually, I was back in the district at the time. I was working the 1106 car when Eddie came along. But since I worked for uh, Wayne Gulliford um, and did his did his statistics at the time, and it was now Comstat, uh, I was his Comstat guy till he could bring over the gentleman he wanted to work for him. Um, so I've, I've, I've had the opportunity to learn the paperwork, learn the streets, work some good jobs. I then, uh, I then worked trouble buildings <laughs> for three and a half years. And then I went back to the grade 11th district and worked the 1106 car. Um, after that, I was lucky enough to land a spot in organized crime where I worked in animal crimes, where we locked up um, um, convicted felons who weren't allowed to own dogs, uh, animal abusers, and people who did dog fights. Wow. Um, wow. That's, so, I mean, it's incredible. I love it. I love yeah, it. So, so then uh, I came back to the 11th district and I worked in community policing and uh, I was able to be the trouble uh, business officer. And one of the things that we did while I was there that we, we received a reward, uh, we received an award for is we started a cotillion and a battalion to cheat, to teach the community children who don't get the opportunity to learn things from outside their neighborhood, uh, how to eat, how to dance, how to be professional, um, how to court a woman at a dance, only for dance purposes. And um, after that, I was uh, lucky enough to make detective. And um, I was I was initially put in um, Area South, which was a new world for me because I'm a West Sider. And uh, I worked on midnight, so I worked SVU. RBT, uh, and I'll tell you what the acronyms mean for those who aren't aware. SBU yes, for our listeners, you have to, you know, clarify, you know, what those acronym means. And also, like, I, I took a note here, like, I, I know what 1106 car is, but maybe they don't. So, so, so uh, I'll tell you that right after I tell you the acronyms. SBU is Special Victims. I'm sure everybody's seen it on Law and Order. Uh, special Victims specializes in domestics and uh, children-related crimes. Even though we do have a special unit for children, SIU, uh, which is special uh, investigations unit, and they handle most of the sexual predatory crimes in, in that area. 
Um, RBT is uh, robbery, burglary, and theft, or property crimes. They handle all those things that I just mentioned, a robbery, a burglary, or a theft. And then I work violent crimes, which were, which we, uh, which is where I was initially assigned to, but on midnight, you handle everything till days. Um, is anybody who's shot or is, um, or when there's a homicide. Awesome. That incredible experience. Incredible experience. Our, our listeners are lucky to have you on the show. Talk about your experience and what it's like to do these things. I mean, incredible. Um, going back to Everett Johnson, I remember there was a Chicago police weightlifting club. My dad and I were, were uh, members of it and he, he would be in there weightlifting all of the time. Uh, just an interesting guy. Very interesting. Good man. And all those bosses you named, uh, you know, Wayne and the rest of them, all, uh, all good people. So your experience is uh, vast and great. And we're going to talk about it today. Some of it um, What interests me uh, right now is talking about the financial crimes. What is it like to be a financial crimes detective in a place like Chicago? How busy are you? What do the crimes look like? What is the majority of the crimes you face uh, and see every day? What are those things? What are you investigating? Okay. Well, before I get into that, um, uh, I'll talk, I'll simply give you a brief uh, description of 1106. So, you know, 1106 is now the, the special teams that they have in the district that handle all the emergencies. But back then when I was on 1106 car, it was, it was the go-to car. If there was a problem in the district, the commander would call you personally on your cell phone and tell you, um, go handle this, this sex crime, go handle this, this uh, homicide problem, do the investigations with the detectives and keep him up to date so that um, there's firsthand knowledge to the commander so that he can relate the information to all of the people that, that report him to him directly. The watch commander, who is usually a lieutenant or, um, or captain at the time, and all the sergeants so that all of the information that's coming from the investigation is getting to him firsthand. He knows who the players are. Um, it was where, you know, it was like, it, it was a very, it was a, it was a, it was a blessing, but it was a, a very important position that I took serious. It, it, um, it, well, it sounds like a serious position. I mean, you're answering to the commander of the district and for our listeners uh, in, in a place like Chicago police department, the commander is like his own chief of police of, of his area. He, he or she runs that entire area. So if you're the commander of, let's say the 11th district, the 11th district, you are the chief of the 11th district. Do you have higher ups to answer to? Yes. But on a day-to-day basis, you are the person in charge. So that is a pretty significant position to have to make notifications to that commander working with detectives if there's a major crime. So that that's a pretty significant thing. So thanks for explaining that. Now, going back to the financial crimes aspect, what, you know, daily basis, you know, what's your garden variety day like on the Chicago police department as I, and I know there's no garden variety, right? <laughs> what is it like to be a financial detective, financial crimes detective in the city of Chicago? So I have three years of experience in April um, in financial crimes and we, we have a caveat of, of everything. Um, first thing, let me say this before I got there, um, we, we had the numbers. The numbers were about 30,000 cases pre-COVID. But uh, as you 30, all know- 30,000? 30,000. 30,000 cases, cases pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. We're How many detectives are there? How many financial crime detectives are there? Well, we've had a lot of promotions. We had a lot of retirements this week or just this month. So now we're down to, um, I know that we have three- pre-sergeant selectives that scored less than 100, uh, and they should be going into a class sometime in between February and March or the, the first three months of the year. And then after that, we have eight eight field detectives, four case management detectives. And I know that sounds un- uneven because why would you have four people sifting through cases? Because when you got 60,000 cases, they have to determine the cases that are workable. They have to, sometimes they even collect uh, uh, details and uh, evidence for the investigation prior to giving it to us. Um, and they're, they're pretty much the backbone of what we do. And then we have three detectives that are TFOs. They, we have, um, currently we have really more than that. We have uh, four detectives signed to the, assigned to the Secret Service and uh, two to the FBI. And we're supposed to be working up a team for the Department of Homeland Security. All right. So you said a lot there. 
and <laughs> and I just want to clarify what I, what I'm what I'm hearing for our listeners. So there's you said sixty thousand cases, and there's four four case managing detectives. So if my numbers are correct, that's fifteen thousand per detective to sift through and see if it's worthy of actually being investigated by a detective. Is that what you're saying? Sort of, kind of. So what happens? Okay. So what happens is with these four detectives, we have multiple UCRs, and UCRs are uniform co- codes that the that the FBI uses to detail what kind of crime it is. And so what they do is, I don't know if they rotate it weekly or monthly, but back in the office, there's you know like uh, eleven thirty is a deceptive practice uh, fraud and confidence game, which is our fit all for everything. So if someone someone old or someone young was called and says, and they say that they're from the IRS or the FBI, and if you send me um, if you send me target cards and give me the codes uh, and the value of five thousand dollars, I'm not going to come arrest you and send you back to your country. And people do this all the time. Um, but there's 1130s, 1150s, 1140s. And what they do is they break the codes down and they handle c- certain codes. So you might, you might, you know, even though you're getting, we get jobs routinely, uh, you might get a, you might get a job from two different, two different CMO officers on the same day, just because they came from different classifications. Mm. Um, they do their best to clear the box. Um, the other thing is we always tell our, our victims is give us five to seven days to get the job out to a detective to get back in touch with you um, just because we're usually that busy. Yeah. Well, that's, um, that's pretty, that's pretty significant. So what, what's, when you say this is our catch all, you, you, you had said that um, fraud and confidence game or, or something along those lines, that's your catch all. What, what do you mean by that? Well, the, the thing is this, that when, when, when you get it, when you, most people that get financially fixed are, are usually fixed on doing something different. We've had cases where there are people that call us and say that they were on a dating website or a sex website and they gave, um, they gave information to the individual on the other line that they shouldn't have. Okay. Um, maybe, it was, maybe it was credit card information and they stole their identity and began to use the credit card illegally. Um, maybe, um, maybe they thought they were going to get a, a $200, a $400 Oric, Oric uh, vacuum cleaner for $79 because that's what it said on the internet. But the internet site, site web site website uh, is now, is now shut down, whether it be by, um, by the attorney general or by um, the FBI or another, another federal bureau or a federal agency. And so what we do is because we don't have a lot of information on how they did it, but just the fact that they promised something that they couldn't, couldn't, couldn't give them, that's mm-hmm. a fraud or confidence. Wow. Wow. So going back to something you said earlier, you said 60,000 cases, that's currently what you're doing. 60,000. And if I heard you correctly, there's eight detectives. Now I get it that, you know, it's no fault of your own or the supervisor or anything. It's just, it's the cards were, were dealt with, you know, not having the manpower on the city of Chicago police department to fill these positions plus promotions and things like that. I, I, I completely get it. It's, it's just a dynamic that, you know, in my time, when I became a police officer, we, you know, there's always manpower issues in different places, but it seems a little bit more significant now from the people I talk to sounds like there's, you know, significant manpower issues. So I, I fully understand that and no fault of your own. So eight detectives for 60,000 cases. And, and, and how, in March, in March, in we Mar- have about 12 now. No, you have 12 detectives. Okay. So how many of these cases go in and, you know, you investigate them and you end up prosecuting somebody, you end up going, getting, you know, a warrant, whatever, arresting somebody and taking, taking them to jail and prosecuting. How many, how many would you say? Okay, so so I'm I'm probably one of the busier detectives since I've been there. I do a lot of in custodies. Um, any and and again, this was pre-COVID because we were able to go into the stores, Bloomingdale, Bloomingdale's, uh, Macy's, wherever they used someone else's credit card or stole someone else's identity and opened up an account, and we were able to take them into custody. Um, now what we do? So our process is this. Um, just so so you, so everyone out there can be patient with whatever police department you're dealing with. Um, we get the case, we, we, we contact the victim immediately, which would be you, the listener. Um, we ask you, 
we 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 kind of give you a brief. Uh, we give you a briefing of what they wrote on the on a on a brief already uh, summarized, uh, complete uh, completed uh, general offense case report or police report, wherever you're from, and we make sure that the information is true and accurate. At this time, we can now um, amend amend the report and add any um, substantial information so that the investigation can be um, either handled properly or suspended immediately. Um, the one thing that we can't do, and, and I tell all my, my victims this, um, if you've given someone, I had a case the other day, I'll give you a, a real example. Young lady, a uh, young lady, 62 years young, uh, gave her daughter her credit card number to take an Uber ride. She then didn't use the card for a while, but because the mama gave the money, gave the, the credit card number to the daughter, the daughter then decided to use the credit card again for more Uber rides. Well, the state's attorney, the great, great Kim Fox and, and um, the people that, that, that um, file these cases against the offenders that we have, what they tend to do is if, if there's information documented in the case report where the individual who was the victim gave the information to the person, um, depending on the amount, usually of lower amounts like this, and I think this, this case was somewhere between 90 and $100, the state won't even prosecute it. So it means that if I find the daughter, unless the daughter, the only way that I can, first of all, that I can lock the daughter up is if she said, yeah, I use the card without authorization. What are you going to do? Now I got to go get her. But right. if she, if she says that I didn't use it on with, without authorization, my mom is in our, in an argument or we're having a, a family, a family um, hustle. Uh, there's really nothing I can do on that case, except call the victim or call the offender or the person of interest and see if she's willing to, to give, to, to give me enough to, to, to arrest her. If she does it, then I have to suspend the case indefinitely and, or ask the mother because she knows who the offender is. Is she willing to allow me to close it, clear, clear close it exceptional because she's not willing to prosecute her daughter at this point. Wow. That that's gotta be, there's gotta be a level of frustration that comes with that. Am I right? Um, th there is, but, but again, you, you have to realize that who would have ever thought that your daughter would have taken your credit card and used it on her own free will. Right. So, so, I mean, more, we spend more time talking to our victims and bringing them down because they're very upset mm -hmm. and, and, um, you know, telling them what they can do to protect themselves. Cause there are things that you can do to protect yourself. Wow. So what are some of those things you can do to protect yourself? Well, the first thing that I recommend, I also, um, I have the pleasure of teaching the financial crimes and investigation management course at Calumet College. So the first thing that I tell all my students is this, um, don't buy LifeLock. LifeLock, I mean, unless you really feel that, that it does something better than some of these free apps out here, uh, credit, credit Karma and Credit Sesame will always identify you when someone does a hard inquiry on your, on your credit. And that's what LifeLock does. And sometimes, because LifeLock is so busy, they don't get back to you till a few days later. But um, those are two things that you can do. The other thing that I tell them, and I tell everyone this, and please be 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 mindful that I'm not being I'm not being mean about it. But it's not it's not um, it's not are you you know it's not uh, are you going to be a victim? It's when all your information is out there. Every time there's a breach, and the newest breach just happened today. Um, I got an alert on my phone. 515,000 people's personal information was really, was breached by the Red Cross today. Uh, Macy's, Target, all these breaches have all your pertinent information. The one thing that, that we have to know as a consumer is that when we sign or we do an electronic, um, an electronic uh, form to get a credit card, in that little writing that we never read with the mic, you know, with, where you need a microscope to read, it mm -hmm. always says that you give the right or the benefit of to the, to the creditor to dis, to disperse your information as they best seem it fit and and pleased. Wait a minute. So that when you when you sign when you sign a credit like a credit card application, is that what you're saying? Yeah, you you give them the right to uh, um some of your information to their to their fellow creditors wow 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 you i mean you said something earlier too that uh you said the the app of credit karma and what was the other app that you could use credit sesame s 
S E S A M E. Okay. So credit Sesame and credit karma are free apps that you can use that do the same thing as LifeLock. Exactly. Okay. And then you said, you know, when are you going to be a victim? Not, uh, uh, not if, but when. Right. So tell, tell me a little bit more about that. So you're saying that your information's out there. Well, the other thing is, you know, people can, people are hacking computers. Um, I mean, Amazon, Amazon's big business, right? But anyone that has Amazon Prime, don't you have a, don't you have a card on file? Yes. Yes, you do. So someone, someone hacks your account. They get in, they start ordering things. They look abnormal. They go to a different address and Amazon calls you or sends you a text and says, you know, did you, did you, did you order this? Or if someone is lazy that day, if it's a Monday or a Friday, like a Monday or Friday car, you know, and they forget a few parts and a few screws, um, they just send it out and then you get this bill and then you're like, well, where did this come from? Um, a lot of it is complacency of the people in the industries. Um, you know, people aren't double checking or, or double crossing. Um, and the thing is, the one good thing about Amazon is, you know, when your order is filled and if someone is taking over your personal email account, not only will you not get the, the registry on your Amazon, but you, you won't even get the email. What you'll get is the bill on whatever card you've set up to um, have your charges sent to, whether it be a debit card or um, a Visa card. So one of the things that I also tell my students is this, that if you have a bank account, open a separate account or open up a, a separate credit card specifically for these kinds of charges so that your damages are a whole lot less. So what, they, what most criminals do is when they find it, they share it with their other friends and not only their friends locally, but all around the country and the world, um, as well as the stuff that you can, you can ascertain on the dark web. For those who don't know about the dark web or the onion, um, this was something that was developed by the United States Navy some years ago to monitor um, unlawful sales of everything. I mean, on the on the dark web, as you know, because you you taught the uh, info security class to me, um, on the dark web you can buy anything from a body part to a hire for a hire for murder to car parts that don't exist. You don't think like DeLorean parts uh, to information about people. You can buy credit card numbers in, in, a, in the hundreds, in the thousands, in the millions, if you want, because that kind of information lives there. Wow. That, that's pretty significant. It's like drinking from a fire hydrant. I'm not going to lie to you right now. I'm, I'm like just blown away by the information here. And it's interesting when you say not if, but when it's going to happen having all of this out there. I mean, it happened to me twice. It happened to me twice. I was <laughs> one time I was in Galena, Illinois, uh, with my family and, um, I went to, you know, put something on a debit card and it kicked back, not, you know, not sufficient funds. So I went up on the computer and I saw all these crazy charges. <laughs> so then I set up my debit card. So I would have immediate notifications when something was spent. Um, I did, you know, you get the money back. I got the money back, but it was a while, you know, when I investigated and then it happened again on, a, on one, on one of my credit cards. Um, someone got the credit card number and went crazy buying stuff. Um, again, it was taken care of, but it took a significant amount of time. And I don't think anyone was ever prosecuted. How often do these things get prosecuted? Things like that. So, so most of our cases are, are they're, they're given deals. Um, just like with a with a with a drug case or narcotic case in in uh, Cook County, the first time is on is on the government. They usually put you on probation. But I've had people who have violated the law multiple times. I've proven it in court, and they were given double high security probation. I guess it's called because double secret probation, double secret probation. I think that yeah. was in a movie. <laughs> so so I had a guy who who um, he asked, he ascertained the business. Uh, he, he did business with uh, an auto store and he bought an engine and he wrote a check and the, the check was refused. And then they handed him check back or his bank handed him the information and it had their routing number and their account number. So he called the check company, told him he was a representative, wanted his name on it, not the business name. And he used the same account and routing number and started writing checks. He used the checks mostly at the post office. That's when I locked him up. And when he ordered um, magazines for home. But um, <laughs> he ordered the magazines to his own house. 
He did. Yeah. He did. It's, it's I mean, it sounds like a genius. I mean, <laughs> you're gonna break the law and send the send the proceeds of your criminal action to your home. I mean, that's wow. Wow. Well, you know, thank God for that. Cause then, you know, it's, it's easy for you, right? It's one case down out of your, you know, 60,000. <laughs> well, so, so to tell you more about my cases, so what, what, what I do is, and uh, let me say this, my, my, my partner from uh, when I first got to uh, uh, financial crimes almost three years ago, uh, she actually retired at 44 with 20 years and three weeks on the, de- on, on the job. Uh, she moved to Texas and, uh, um, She's doing well, but I, I took on her jobs too. And so uh, I volunteered to take on her jobs because I already knew some of the players. We discussed some of the subject matter and it would be so hard to, to go in depth on an embezzlement or something else um, that that's, you know, uh, legal, illegal uh, credit card usage um, when I already knew the story. But um, one of the things that I wanted to say um in reference to what you said about your about your um, your your charges, um, always please always when you travel use a credit card. Why do you think I said that, Doctor Danny? Because you don't want them having access to your personal account information. You rather have them use the credit card because the credit cards are probably insured. That exactly that the insured is exactly the reason why I said it. Because if you use a debit card, who loses the money? Uh, I do. Account. Right. Bank account. If it's a credit card. It's Chase. It's Bank of America. It's Liberty Bank. It's whoever it may be. So the, the, what I tell people is this. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and I'm going to give a plug here, which I'm not supposed to. But uh, I think the best one that we de- the best bank that we deal with when we have fraud is American Express. So if your credit's good, uh, go get the go get the card. They they not only. um not only do they they do the legwork for you, they do they actually call the customers, and they and most of their customers actually call our department, even if they're out of state, to press charges because it's not so much that the money that they took, but it's the fact that someone had the nerve and the audacity and the gall to to do this to them. And my thing is this: if I I had a I had a case that was just uh, publicized in CWB uh, maybe three months ago, November. What's CWB? In- CWB. CWB is the Chicago um, online paper that that tells about police police work and what we're doing and some of the some of the success stories. Where can someone access that in case they want to look at it? I think it's CWBChicago.com. Okay, cool. And so I had a guy who got caught up and he was only arrested because he was urinating on the public way. (laughs) And so and so he had 15 credit cards in his pocket. And we found out that he was going to, a, I can't say much because it's still in litigation, but he was going to a local bar and he was taking the credit cards. And um, we called American Express and there were five victims and they all called back. And we, you know, the one thing is when you have 15 victims and, and you know, most of the detectives are willing to help you. So I had someone that went out with me and then I had an, uh, a, a partner who just became a sergeant. So what we did is we divided the, the victims into five and we called, you know, we accurate their information and accurate or Lexus Nexus is a database that the police pays for that um, everyone's on. If you receive mail, uh, get a check, been employed, been unemployed, um, you're in this database. And what we do is it, it's really hard to find like uh, common, common names like Danny McGuire. I'd be, I would be strung up on, but if your name is um, Osvaldo Chinga Changa Thomas, <laughs> There's probably only one or two of you in the world. And we look locally first and then we look um, nationally. We don't do too much international investigations. But um, you find this individual, you call them, or you, you know, if you don't have a telephone number, you can call the local jurisdiction and tell them that you have their credit card. Um, you have their credit card um, in your possession and or the number. And do they want to press charges? And if we get three or more, it usually moves up from a class four to a class three felony. Wow. That's, that's incredible. This is really informational. And I think our listeners will really appreciate uh, all of this information. I have to break for station identification, Marcus. So this is WVLP, Valparaiso Community Radio. You can find us at 
wvlp.org for our programming and you are listening to everyday warriors with your host danny mcguire and our guest today is detective marcus from the chicago police department he's detective of financial crimes and he is talking about some interesting topics that are just mind-blowing i mean this is really incredible so what's what's the craziest financial crime you've seen uh well, or the most interesting, I don't know, the craziest, most interesting, weirdest, whatever. Um, wow. There's, there, there's so many, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm handling some big cases now, but, um, uh, I have a case where, um, where an individual of, of, uh, power within the state, she has a state job and of, of title, um, is, is financial exploitation of an elderly. I mean, uh, she 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 entered a relationship with him and then she started embezzling money from his company when he gave her rights to use uh, use her, his his account for business. She started depositing money into her personal account. And oh, no, I have one even worse than that. And so uh, which I can't talk about. But um, <laughs> but um, but well, now but that you now that you've teased our listeners about the one that's even worse than this. I mean, my jaw is open, you know, like you're telling me this person has some sort of significant role in 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 government and they're <laughs> they're embezzling money from their boyfriend. They entered or whatever their partner they entered into a relationship with. And you're like, oh, I have one worse than that. And I'm <laughs> Our listeners are probably, particularly my mom, who's probably listening. Hi, mom. I know you're listening. She's probably, well, what's the case? I, I know she's going to ask. So, you know, okay. between her and my sister, probably. So go ahead. Continue. I apologize. That's all right. So, so an elderly lady calls me uh, and, and her, and her, and her, her, her home health keeper, keeper keeps calls me. Um, and they tell me that um, all of her cars have been changed into the name of the person of interest or the offender. And um, in, the, in, those, in those cars is a Rolls Royce, an RV, and a few um, um, passenger cars, as well as um, she's already lost a civil lawsuit with, with them, which is, which is really bad because- This is the um, boyfriend, girlfriend thing still. This is a different boyfriend, girlfriend. Oh, this is a different one. Okay. All right. So, well, first let's say this. The lady who called me is, um, she's a widower. Okay. And uh, her husband, they were very wealthy. They owned, um, they owned a few nursing homes and they owned the cleaners. Okay. And so she brought, she brought this, uh, this young man who was a pastor onto her payroll to control her, her financial interests because she wasn't always aware of what was going on. And I think that he, he worked with the, the husband. And so he took control of all of her property. He quit claim deed everything to himself. He took over a nursing home for a hundred dollars. He quit claim deed. It's and he and he was so stupid. He 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 didn't even get a different um, notary. He notarized it, which makes it invalid. Right. But um, but he took over an, a a nursing home, which which they lost in in a civil court. So for those who don't know, uh, criminal court is where you go to jail. Civil court is where you try to recover recoup monies from people who have who actually have it. And the burden of proof in civil court is much less than it is in criminal court. Wow. Well, yeah, the burden of proof in, in a civil case is um, the, well, the criminal is beyond reasonable doubt and preponderance of the evidence is in a, in a civil case. So some of our listeners might not be familiar with that. So if you want to explain that, that'd be great. So beyond a reasonable Thanks. doubt is beyond a reasonable doubt and preponderance of the evidence means what it's more likely that they did it, then didn't do it, right? So, so at the end of the day, um, with all the things that he took from this this lady, um, he took about seven million dollars in valuables. Seven million dollars. Seven million dollars. Wow. And so, and so, you know, I kept talking to to her and um, her and her her um health healthcare keeper or whatever she was. She was she was like more than a nanny. She was over there all the time. And of course, I went out there and I and I visited the property and see if she could give me some some paperwork. And she didn't have it all. And and the, the horrible thing that happened was that she died. And because okay. she died, um, the family would now have to civilly sue her for any valuables because she was the victim, and she no longer lived. 
Um, the other horrible thing is I found out that this, this, and I called, I called the pastor and told him I wanted to talk to him. And he said, yeah, well, my lawyer will get all my numbers to you. And I never heard from him again, but he ran for mayor in Texas and almost won lost by 35 votes. <laughs> the, the guy, the guy who basically robbed from this woman. Right. And, and yeah. And then good gravy. Good and then gravy. He, and then he turned around and got locked up. For, for for a financial crime in Texas. And I think he actually is, is about to go to j- jail. I, I haven't looked up on the case lately, but, you know, in Texas. Uh, you said he's a pastor. He's a pastor. Yeah, he's a pastor. Uh, I You know, well, that's a topic for another, you and I. We're going to ha- you're going to have to be interviewed again and we're going to have to talk about <laughs> something along those along those lines. I think that's a different show. You know, I. Someone will say to me, you know, when you're in an educational position now, you know, we know each other pretty well. So I've shared these stories in class or in faculty meetings and you'll get pressed by people about, you know, police corruption and stuff. And I go, do you understand what, you know, what the rate of corruption is in law enforcement? Yeah. If we had to quantify it, right. Put a number on it. It's like less than a thousandth of a percent. And there's other occupations out there that, the corruption level is much higher than that. You know, it's 25, 30%. So when you say this man's a pastor, I immediately, you know, cause I, I practice my faith, you know, I'm, I'm Catholic and I, I practice my faith. I, yeah, I try to live my life at a certain standard. Uh, nobody's perfect, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. And we try to separate the deed from the doer when someone does something, but really <laughs> I think you should be the example of, what righteousness and, and, you know, goodness should be right. So God, I, I, I don't even, I don't even know what to say, but I'm not, I'm not surprised, you know, my experience, you know, if I, if I didn't have the experience I had Marcus, I would be, I'd be completely floored, but I, 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 I'm just, I'm not, I'm not surprised. I'm just disappointed, I guess, disappointed because this man or person probably had, you know, cultivated a, a, a bunch of people in his life or, or mentored people. And now, well, anyways, I digress. Let me give them a better story. I, ha- I have a good story. I just, I just worked give on us a uh, success here. Give us a touchdown. Well, yeah, please. Okay. Okay. So, so I was contacted. Uh, I had a retired, uh, a retired Lieutenant who um, had a quick claim deed set, set against his property. He's 83 years old. Um, He's he's on dialysis, so it's so he you know and and the worry is that with a quick claim deed, uh, for those who don't know, if you don't have a living trust and you just have a will, and someone wants to probate your property or your belongings, they can and take all of your. Uh, That's home I, title I mean, theft. Is that what that is? Uh, no. Well, it was even it, it, we thought it was it, it was we thought it was that, but but it, it, it turns out to be uh, not so bad. So I get this case. I call them. He doesn't return my call. I call him back about four days later and uh, we talked for about a real, real established guy, real, real, really jovial guy, real, real decent, just upset about the fact that there's a quick claim on. Um, he gets he. So for those who don't know that live in live in Cook County, I don't know what Valparaiso does. Valparaiso. Um, what they do is in Cook County with the recorder of deeds, if you have a property, you can register that property on the recorder of deeds for fraud alert which means that anyone that files a mechanics lien and a mechanics lien is you hire a painter, you don't pay him. He, he, he puts a lien against your house, which means you can't sell. Quick claim deed is the same way. Anyone that, 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 that the quick claim deed goes to is now part of the deal. Meaning that if the house is still being financed, if the person who has the quick claim deed against the house, isn't notified for the deal for the closing, well, the house can't go through, go, go through the end sale because it's, it's co-owned by, the person with that deed, as well as the owner of the financial responsibility. Wow. So, so, um, so with this man, you know, he's, he, he's, he's on dialysis, you know, uh, with COVID we've learned nobody's promised tomorrow. Um, I call him and I reach out to him and I go, I make an, I make an appointment to go see him the following day. I go see him. He shows me all his paperwork. Um, being that he was in law enforcement, I show and he's my victim. I show him all my paperwork and he's kind of wild on some of the stuff that I pulled off the off the Internet. 
and um, shows me letters because he had to hire a lawyer to, to have this quick claim removed. And of course, it, it, it hadn't been. And again, now now we talk about just just error and, and, and situation. So the next day or the, that evening before I go home, I leave a message for the fraud investigators for the Cook County Recorder of Deeds. And being the kind of zealous guy that I can be, as you know, as my instructor, you give me homework and I want to finish it in a half an hour. <laughs> I I go directly, I go directly to the Cook County Recorder of Deeds at City Hall the following day at 10 o'clock in the morning. I think that if I give them an hour to open up and, and start the business, they'll be ready for me because I'm a little bit animated sometimes. So you I are, walk in. You are animated sometimes. You you get very animated. And I and I love it when you do. I, so I walk into the Cook County um, Recorder Deeds office and uh, they have security and they have a Cook County officer um, controlling the flow of people because of COVID. You know, not too many. You go here, you go there. So the Cook County Sheriff, I walk in in, 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 in plain clothes with a bulletproof vest on with a uh, Eddie Bauer jacket that says Chicago police on it with a file in my hand. And the man says to me, sir, if you got a civil case, you need to step to the right. I said, sir, I'm in uniform and this is a criminal case and I need to speak to the recorder of the deeds or the fraud <laughs> investigator. And he says to me, oh, okay, okay, okay. And so they sit me down outside um, an office and I go in and I meet the gentleman and he is the most kind and gracious man. He's the deputy director, uh, deputy, deputy, deputy direct recorder of deeds for Cook County. Okay. And he and I share my information with him because, uh, as you know, and as your as your as as the the listening, the listeners should know that as police officers, the only way that you can get documents around from a, from a police case is be a police officer or, or request a FOIA. FOIA is a Freedom of Information Act. And I promise you, it's not gonna be what you think it is because it's redacted. Meaning there's so many black marks on there, you really don't even have a complete story. So law enforcement is only able to share information with other law enforcement agencies that are conducting part of the, inter part of the investigation. So I give him what I have, he forwards it to his investigator and less than 15 minutes later, after I walk out five minutes later, um, his the legal counsel for the Cook County uh, Recorder of the Cook County calls me, and he tells me that um, he tells me that he's going to handle the problem. He said, "I'm glad that you did it." Um, the victim actually put this put us on this some time ago because what happened is um, the property is on property that IIT owns, and mm -hmm. IIT when he bought the property, they gave them all a hundred year um, free le levy of taxes on that property, and um, so that the so that if you bought property on the and it wasn't the common grounds, you could still sell the property without having to go through IIT. IIT is now having some financial problems, and so someone in in well people in in uh, Korea and and China are now buying up some of the bonds in the and the land in in the, in, in the city of Chicago, and so. What they did is they, it was an error. It was a pin, a pin error. And what you'll notice is when you buy property, you have a 16, 16 pin number. And these pin numbers didn't match. And I always thought that, I always thought that, I already thought that was kind of crazy. But when I called the legal counsel, he said over 260 properties had quick claim deeds against them by this couple that lived in Palatine at one time and now live in, in Korea uh, on error. And all they had to do is for $98 is go on the internet and claim that that was their property. Wow. For $100. And so um, almost immediately, they wiped the quick, quick, quick claim deed off of his property. And um, he now is in a position where as if he wanted to sell the property or if he went into a nursing home and was forced to sell it, he could now do it without, without any uh, uh, legal issues. Wow. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a great ending for for him but I'm, I'm fascinated at how deep this goes i mean the stuff that gets flown right under our nose so to speak is is incredible i <laughs> again i'm in shock you know i well, i'm not surprised but you know because people will do some we know this from our experience you know you worked in 11 um in my assignments i spent time on the west side and the south side and all that stuff and i know that people will do some pretty 
terrible things to each other, right? Whether, you know, it's physical or mental or whatever. So I'm not surprised by it, but I am shocked by the depth that it goes and how easy it seems almost. These people live in Palatine. They make calls and say, this is our property. Oh, okay. All right. No problem. <laughs> I mean, well, that's, that's something. Well, the other thing is they didn't even do it from Palatine because they were backing in Korea because the notaries were sent from the embassy. Hmm. Wow. It's frightening. It's frightening. Well, well, they cleared 260 cases with this case. That case cleared 260 cases. Right. Because the pin indexing was done on every property in that housing complex on that block. Let me tell you something, Marcus, you keep talking about this stuff and mom, mom McGuire is going to be invite you over her pasta, you know, and, and wanting to get all this information from me. I'll tell you that right now, because she's going to be all, all over this. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's do mama McGuire some justice. Let's give her some tips and the listeners, some tips on things that they can do besides uh, credit cards. Sounds Make great. Sure, first thing I, I always recommend is that you do your, your, um, your one free report every year. And I think you can uh, pull that up on annualreport.com. It's free. Um, it'll, 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 um, it'll, it'll tell you, it'll tell you, you know, where you, where you can go. Um, another thing is if you become a victim of a financial crime, no matter who you bank with, no matter what the cause is, always get a police report. You not getting a police report allows the bank not to, not to, um, they allow, allows them not to investigate it. They won't give you a fraud investigation if you don't have um, a police report from your local jurisdiction. And the other thing is, um, and this is one of the things that we talk about even in our introductory class with the, with the police officers, is that if you're the victim of a financial crime and you have a, a local jurisdiction to freeze your credit by simply going on ftc.gov backslash identity theft and um, the people at the Federal Trade Commission, because that's what FTC stands for, are really, really good at helping people. Um, they've been incredibly busy, but uh, most of this stuff you can do online. They have templates of forms that you would need for your credit cards and your creditors. And it just makes things a whole lot easier at the end of the day. Do you have any questions, Danny? I, I don't have any questions, but I can tell you that our listeners probably have hundreds of questions. One thing uh, I wanted to say to Marcus was thank you for your service, both on the Chicago Police Department, and United States Air Force. Thank you for your service to Calumet College. Uh, you're an incredible instructor. I always get positive reviews from students and sharing your knowledge is, is incredible. And also thank you to your son for his service. Marcus' son's uh, in what branch of the service? I'm sorry. He's in the army. He's actually deployed to Korea right now for a second shot. Okay. So thank you for for his service, thank him for his service, and hopefully uh, he's safe and and well and comes home in one piece. Thank you, um, Marcus. So, if someone wanted to get a hold of you uh, to talk to you, what would be the best way to get a hold of you? Um, best way is probably through my my email, and um, I'll give you my. Uh, should, should I make it? Which one do you think I should use? Uh, you know, I always go with the professional email. It's probably the best, you know, wh okay. whether it's the college or the, you know, I mean, if you don't want to um, cloud up your police department email, maybe the college one is better. Or if you have a personal one that you, you know, you want to give out that you use for different things. I have several email addresses I and uh, yeah, one of them is just well, for, well, for the show. Okay. Well, we'll give them the, 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 no matter which one I give you, it comes directly to my phone. I actually answer it faster than I answer my phone calls sometimes because I'm on other lines. But it's M, M as in Mary, Shepard, S as in Sam, H as in Howard, E as in Edward, P as in Paul, A as in Adam, R as in Robert, D as in David, the number one at CC, that's C as in Charlie, C as in Charlie, S as in Sam, and J as in James, um, dot edu. And uh, if you have any questions or there's something that you, you you need me to just make a little bit clearer for you, feel free to reach out to me and I'll get back to you as soon as I possibly can. One last question for you, Marcus. And, uh, you know, if you want to talk about it, that'd be great. You do a little bit of work for the Holocaust Museum. 
Is that correct? So you want to talk about that for a little bit? We've got about uh, four minutes left. So go ahead. Okay. So what, what, what we do at the, at the Holocaust Museum, and I'm a consultant there, one of the students at Calumet, like, like the lesson that he got in, in school and got me this interview. Um, so what we do is there is uh, there's two sets of classes. One we do like open, uh, we, we try to use the history of the Battalion 101, which were the police officers that were converted to military, to do military assignments by Hitler. We talk about um, the things that they did, what the what the um, what the uh, repercussions were from what they did, and we talk about the some of the similarities in policing because we try to learn from history. Uh, the other class that I that I teach and I just taught was um, the leadership class, and that was for a uh, hundred new sergeants and forty five new lieutenants. And we try to remind them um, the one thing is that in police work we we tend to be we tend to sometimes get complacent or use um, yesterday's example on today's on today's um, plan. And we try to bring people back down so that they can get, um, they can reset themselves ethically and morally to treat each person as an individual when you're dealing with them, whether they're a new recruit or whether they're uh, an experienced vet. Um, because sometimes we get people in our leadership class uh, that are supervisors that have been in the detective division for 20 years. We even get police officers that have been detectives uh, and have made sergeant that have been detectives for 18 or 22 years. And we have to remind them in, in, of, of how in the Holocaust, um, how the Germans came into an area where they knew nothing about these people, but that they didn't like them. And that wasn't fair to, to the Jewish people back then. And we tried to uh, remind them that we want to be fair and equitable in all the decisions that we do as police officers because the power of that uniform is, is, is grand. I mean, you know, regardless of whether you like the police or not, when blue lights creep up behind you and they, they go on, even when they go on behind me, it's like, uh-oh, what did I do now? And, and so we have to, you know, we have to remember that, that um, we're people just as the people that we're stopping are human beings and, and have some sense of humanity. But when we talk about the Holocaust, we even have uh, survivors and they tell their stories of how they felt when they saw the police. Wow. That's incredible. So for our listeners that are interested, where can they find information about the Holocaust Museum? Um, just Google uh, Illinois Holocaust Museum. It's at uh, 9603 Wood Street, Woods Street in Skokie, Illinois. And um, if you've never been, you should you should check it out. It's 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 a plethora of knowledge. Uh, actually, right now they they always have other other things going on there. They had a Mandela um, set up, and now they have something for the LGBT, LGBTQ community. So um, you can always check it out online too. That's great. Thanks, Marcus. Ladies and gentlemen, listeners, uh, Detective Marcus, thank you for all the information. We're going to have you on again if you're available uh, down the road. That would be great. Uh, your experience and your your knowledge is incredible, as well as your ability to articulate things. <laughs> I always thought I that of you too. when you were a student. You know, that was great. So, this is Everyday Warriors, and Everyday Warriors is about everyday heroes. I said it in the beginning, in the opening, and I'll say it again. We don't do politics. We don't do politicians. We don't do athletes. We don't do movie stars. We don't do music artists. We do the real heroes of every day, and the real heroes are our public safety professionals, our police officers, our firefighters, uh, our EMS workers, frontline workers, our special educators, um, our Special Olympics athletes and volunteers. These are real heroes of every day. These are people that make the world go round. I once heard on a talk radio show on the way into work one day um, in Chicago, a gentleman said, uh, and he was one from one of the inner city uh, organizations that helped with you know, gangs and gang members. And he said, if you can't look across your, your table for a hero or in your own home, we have bigger problems than we can we can help you with. So I think of that often. And that was a significant amount of time ago. I mean, it was over like 11 years ago. He said that. And I often think about that. And Detective Marcus, you are one of today's real heroes, without a doubt. So ladies and gentlemen, this is WVLP 
Valparaiso Community Radio. Yeah.